Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Interesting variety of films to talk about this week. Kind of one in different types of genres, different types of films to talk about. So it'll be an interesting week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And the Screening Room Podcast is brought to you by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With their 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. And I'll tell you what, one of the movies we're going to talk about this week definitely demands the biggest screen. One of those big daddies. Because it looks fantastic. But we'll get to that. We want to start off with the sequel to a film that we love from just a few years ago. The drug war on the U.S.-Mexican border has escalated as the cartels have begun trafficking terrorists across the U.S. border. To fight that war, federal agent Matt Graver reteams with the mercurial Alejandro in Sicario, Day of the Soldado. The president's adding drug cartels to the list of terrorist organizations. You can understand how that will expand our ability to combat them. You want to see this thing through? I'm going to have to get dirty. Dirty is exactly why you're here. You're going to help us start a war. With who? Everyone. You have no reason to trust me. But trusting me is how you're going to survive. Good luck. Luck doesn't live on this side of the border. I think you like this one better than I did. But, I, you know, I know both of us loved Sicario from 2015. Oh, one of the most intense from yeah, start to finish mm-hmm. films I'd seen in a while. Just hold your breath tense. And, you know, this one, uh, there was reason to hold out, you know, to be optimistic about it. So so Taylor Sheridan, the writer, comes back, and he is magnificent. Not only did he write Sicario, he also wrote Hell or High Water mm-hmm. uh, and several others. He's brilliant. And then uh, we don't get the director or the cinematographer back, and we don't get Emily Blunt back. But we get, for me, by far, the two most interesting characters of the original, and, and those are played by Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro. Who's having a better year right now than Josh Brolin? Not a soul. Holy moly. It is the summer of Josh. <laughs> the summer of Josh. I thought it was the summer of George. No. That's the what Seinfeld of, told me. clearly the summer of Josh. It is. And uh, and he's he's solid as usual. Everybody is. You know, Benicio Del Toro can always be counted on. Yes. And they are very interesting characters. But you're right. We don't have Denis Villeneuve who directed the, director directed the first, the first one, yeah. one. Oh, and by the way, I just saw this morning. Um, he came out with lavish praise on this film. Oh, good. Yeah, thought it was just a, a really a- ambitious and successful sequel. So he's a great director, and it was a more visionary, I think, visionary directing job than this one. Not, Not only that, he was working hand-in-hand with Roger Deakins, who's oh maybe the greatest cinematographer of oh. all time. And what one of the things that made the movie so memorable and amazing was how, regardless of how brutal what you were looking at was it was filmed in a way that was weirdly beautiful. Yeah, it was. Just remember that opening sequence where, you know, bodies were found in the walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right away, you're like, oh, no, no, <clears throat> excuse me. Not only is that a frightening thing to see, but the way, you're right, the way it was filmed, how it was bathed in a certain type of light. Well, and then also, if you think about that that sequence where the cars are all, I mean, there was that one amazing car chase sequence that was just, the way it was filmed was glorious and amazing. And I feel like, between, um, uh, between the cinematographer and the director, I feel like the film 
it just doesn't it doesn't move like the first one it doesn't look as good as the first one it's just not it doesn't like the 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 way it's put together doesn't amp up the tensions in the way the first one did well i i agree with that i mean that's a pretty high bar to live up to but since it is a sequel it's it's only fair that's going to happen Uh, i think you're right about all those counts but still i think it's a solid it's a solid effort and uh, the director this time is stefano salima and uh, you're right, everything about it is is just a little step down. But it seemed to me to be a kind of a logical extension of where this story might go, where these characters might go. I agree, Emily Blunt's character uh, was very important to the first one and is missed here. And what takes up that void, the characters aren't as memorable. Catherine Keener uh, is here as, uh, as Brolin's boss, mm-hmm. kind of an assistant to the Secretary of Defense. And, and she's always great. But she is. This character is underused. a little. She's a bit yeah. underused. And then also, it's about Millar, who is from Cleveland. All right. Uh, she plays uh, a drug lord's uh, teenage daughter, and and she's right off the bat. She's fascinating. She's kind of smoldering and and angry and and fierce. And uh, she's really expressive without having to deliver lines. I mean, and you just yeah. think to yourself, okay, here is that strong female lead that I was afraid we were missing. But she's underused as well. Yeah, and she, her character really becomes the focal point of the conflict because, yeah, you're, you're as you said, she plays a, the big drug cartel's daughter. And then she becomes kind of a pawn yeah. that puts Brolin's character and Del Toro's character at odds. And that becomes the big conflict here. As, for, as as well as other things going on. But uh, it is a bit of a, it's a slower burn. It's not as intense. Uh, you're right. But it's still, I think it's well put together. It's well acted. It, it tackles some important points, I guess, important current events, important themes, without being overtly political, without taking sides really strongly one way or the other. But it still raises some questions. I think, and it's certainly at the end, it leaves room for another one. Yeah. I think for sure. We won't want to spoil anything about how it does that. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I think I did like it a little bit better than, than you did. But I, it's not, I don't think you disliked it, though. No, but I was disappointed. Uh, well. I, I mean, I came away from it. I couldn't even temper it. I came away from it disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it, is, it is clear that it doesn't quite live up to the first one. And I think the first one got... Not just from us. I think the first one got universal praise. Well, as you know, uh, not as much as I thought it should have, because not only did I think Josh Brolin should have been nominated for an Oscar for a, a fairly small but amazing performance, but I thought, and I was fairly certain it would happen, I thought Del Toro should be have winning his second Oscar for this film, and neither of them even got a nomination. Yeah, I, so I agree. So I was sad about that. That was, that was a bit shocking, and uh, it's, yeah, uh, I mean, I would still I would still recommend it, but going in knowing that it is, it is just a, a little step down from the first one, um, but I still think it's uh, it's worth seeing. Sicario, I guess we'll call it Sicario 2. Mm. And we'll take a big thematic left turn for the next one. After draining his life savings to enter a team in the Rucker Classic Streetball Tournament in Harlem, Dax is dealt a series un- of unfortunate setbacks. Uncle Drew. This is the perfect opportunity for Dax to meet Uncle Drew, the greatest black top player I've ever seen in my life. Someone like you could combine the old school with the new school. It's got to be my team, my roster. Yes! Come on now, got to get the boys. Drew's putting the squad back together. This is where it happens. Let's do this! Play the game the right way, it fixes everything. Yes! Get that out of here. This is the moment. You're going to run away from it, or you're going to step up and take it. Uncle Drew! Who are you? I'm here to make sure that he's tall enough to ride the ride. 
my man about to put him on. I hardly think that setup is necessary, right? It's Uncle Drew. You know, <laughs> have you seen the commercial? We have Kyrie Irving in old man makeup playing basketball <laughs> against people who think he's not who he is an old man. I was trying to come up earlier. Somebody asked me this morning. Uh, we call into some some radio shows to give uh, our reviews, and one of the hosts asked about other movies that have been born from TV commercials, and I couldn't really think off the top of my head. There've, there've got to be some, uh, but this one. I'm sure you've probably seen the commercial in the last few years, a Pepsi commercial, where yeah, Kyrie Irving uh, got the old man makeup and you know schooled these unassuming street ball players, kind in, of Borat style. Yeah, in much the same way that it was so successful that I think the next year they got NASCAR Jeff Gordon to take a test drive with this poor car salesman and go undercover and nearly gave this car salesman a heart attack. Yeah. Now in both of those cases, what makes them work is because we're in on the joke. Yeah. You know, well, it, what makes them work is because it is a joke. It is a joke. That, yeah. That that it, again, Borat style. The the rest of the people are not in on the joke, and that's right. what makes it funny. But of yeah. course, that doesn't happen in this film. Right, and that is the biggest thing that's lost because it goes for a straight narrative. Yet yeah, it's built around this legendary Rucker Park streetball tournament in Harlem and uh, Lorel Howery from uh, from Get Out. Get Out. Yeah, he is a coach, and he's got the star player, and then he loses the player, loses the team, loses his girlfriend, played by Tiffany Haddish. Always hilarious. And he has to put together a new team to try to vanquish his longtime basketball nemesis, Mookie. And Nick Kroll, Played by funny. Nick Kroll, yeah. So he gets he leans on the street ball legend, Uncle Drew, and all his old teammates, and that includes Shaquille O'Neal and Reggie Miller and Chris Webber and Nate Robinson, even Lisa Leslie from mm-hmm. the WNBA. Uh, so not a stable of veteran actors. No. Let's put it that way. Include- and they're all in old person makeup. And- Which, again, the old person makeup has got to... What, what's the problem with I the know. old person makeup? I, I still fall back on Dirty Grandpa. Not Dirty Grandpa. Bad, bad Grandpa. Bad Grandpa. It was great old the man The Johnny makeup. Knoxville movie. Yeah, it, that, that old makeup was fantastic. It was. And then you look at this and think to yourself, yeah. why can't they do better than this? And at the end of the, at the, end of the film, during the blooper reel... Of course, it has a blooper reel. You knew that. Uh, it shows them, you know, getting the the, mat, the prosthetics, the, the, yeah, and everything. the prosthetics and the molds done, and, and what they had to sit through. With that much effort, they could have yeah. made them look, you know, a little old. bit older. But that's far from the worst problem with the movie. You ain't lying. Um, it's you know they they pepper in these real comic actors, you know, Haddish and Kroll and Howery, to offset the sometimes painful, and I mean painful, <laughs> emoting from these basketball stars. I think out of all of them, Chris Weber, I think, does the best. Um, he seems to really be he, he being very effervescent yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and trying. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he's all in. So he had some moments where, oh, okay, maybe. And we already know what a what a master thespian Shaq is. Which, you know, and I'll give him credit. That there are some times, not only that, but especially if you're a, a basketball fan, they make some self-aware jives they at do. each other, which I, I did appreciate. Yeah. So you give them that. They're yeah. good sports, especially Chris, Chris Weber. And if you know the history of Chris Weber, um, you'll know what I'm talking about. But he's a good sport. But anyway, I think in maybe the first third of the movie is where they get the most laughs. The mm-hmm. setup mm-hmm. had some chuckles. I thought it had some decent laughs. And then, of course, the blooper reel because they're bloopers. Right. But in between that, it's, it's just pretty weak. And it loses so much in, like we said, that it not being a stunt. And you just have to rely on the fact that you're in for this narrative. These Well, not only that, here's what, and we've talked about this before, uh, films 
where the whole cast is, in fact, veteran actors, like elderly actors. And we hate those films where they don't, the, the writing is so lazy that the idea is just, we're just going to laugh at old people right. or zany because they're old. Yeah. You know what's worse? Young people dressed like old people that we're going to laugh at because <laughs> they're zany because they're old. Right, laughing at them instead of laughing with them. And if you thought, is this the kind of movie where there's going to be a dance-off? Yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> of course there's going to be a dance-off. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a case where... It's a good idea, a good marketing idea for a commercial. But at the end, that's what this movie feels like, a bloated kind of uh, love child between Nike and Pepsi mm. as for a branding idea. And I don't really think it's going to be anybody's new Space Jam, anybody's <laughs> new generation Space Jam. So not really a rec recommendation for Uncle Drew. But I'll tell you, a couple of good documentaries to talk about this week, uh, getting wider release. And the first one is an exploration of the life, lessons, and legacy of iconic children's television host, Fred Rogers. It's called Won't You Be My Neighbor. A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell you? I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. If you take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite, you have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star, yet it worked. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings just the way everybody does. Won't you be my neighbor? Morgan Neville made this film, and he uh, won an Oscar a couple of years ago for 20 Feet from Stardom. Yeah, which if you haven't seen, you should. It's a very good documentary. It is, it is. And it's very... Um, upbeat, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's about and, background singers. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, it, you know, and, and this one, um, it is as well. It is. I cannot remember the last time I cried as many times in one film as I did in Won't You Be My Neighbor. I can't remember the last time I just about cried watching a trailer. I know. All you got to do is watch the trailer. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. Because, you know, part of it is is uh, that what well, he was so sincere you know, and, and it answers a lot of questions for you. Like, for example, was Mr. Rogers really like that? Yes, yes he, he absolutely was. was. <laughs> and and but I think what is so moving and bittersweet about it is the idea that we don't have that anymore. Oh, and almost man. you leave the movie theater thinking to yourself, I think our world may in fact be too cynical and cruel at this point in time for Mr. Rogers, and what an incredible hole that is. Yeah, exactly right because. How timely, well, really, this movie could be timely at any point since he left the air, but mm -hmm. right now, with the increased focus on civility, yeah. you know, um, the fact that this man existed. I know. Uh, it's almost like watching an old science fiction movie where a man was from another time and yeah. another place. Are you for real? Yeah. Yes, he was for real. Uh -huh. And, you know, it, rem it reminded me of every Christmas you know, when every, everybody's talking about peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and then the day after Christmas is right out the window. And yeah. here's a guy who lived it yeah. every day of his life, yeah. especially aimed toward children. Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, the movie does not make an attempt to canonize him. You know, it really doesn't. It's simply that he was just a genuinely sincere, loving human being. And, uh, and, and you're right. I mean, so everything that happened during the time that he was on air... It's as if he thought to himself, 
what is a child going to think if they catch a glimpse of this and no parents are explaining it to them? And mm-hmm. then he would address it. He yeah. did a whole week series on death, just explaining it to children. He yeah. did another one on divorce, a whole week on divorce. And it was, you know, when you, and I didn't, of course, I was a child. You know, you don't notice it at the time. And I don't think parents notice it because they probably weren't paying attention. But this show was remarkable in the way that it worked to support children mm-hmm. and keep them from feeling afraid. Yeah. And yeah. not by like razzle dazzle, you know, look over here, just by actually addressing head Talk, on yeah, exactly. what it is that they were afraid of. Giving and them there, ways to cope. Uh huh. Yeah. There are so many things about this movie that it's just so beautiful, so beautiful. And at the same time, I mean, the, the sense of loss at not still having anyone like this is, is profound. But keep in mind, bring your tissues. Do it. Because it's just, it's, it's that type of, I don't know, beautiful sadness where you appreciate, well, you realize now what you didn't appreciate yeah. if you're like us and watched him uh, as a child and then growing up. And he, he almost became like kind of a joke. In fact, yeah. he became, you know, a very... Mr. Robinson's, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. neighborhood, things like that. People parody him and then didn't stop to think, you know what? You've, we, have, we have a treasure here. Yeah. That years later after his death, you're going to look back on it and go, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, we could really use somebody like that right now, and, and, and we don't. So, uh, it's a yeah, it's a really fitting tribute to Mr. Rogers. Definitely recommend that. And there's another great uh, documentary to seek out, especially if you like the nature documentaries. This is an experience about the highest peaks around the world. It's called Mountain. To those who are enthralled by mountains... Their wonder is beyond all dispute. To those who are not, their allure is kind of madness. The mountains we climb are not made only of rock and ice. But also of dreams and desire. Pretty self-explanatory title. It's about mountains. And uh, if you are enthralled by such things, and, and my hand is up, <laughs> it's pretty much nature porn. I mean, this is the one I was talking about at the outset, where you've got to find the biggest possible screen you can, and then just just marvel at it. It's a director, Jennifer Pedum, who has done a few different uh, nature documentaries. Did a, did a documentary on Mount Everest, so definitely likes this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And she gets an incredible assist from the cinematography of Renan Ozturk. I mean, these shots are just insane. And they run the gamut from these big swooping aerial shots where you just see a speck of humanity mm-hmm. on these mountains to these tight skiing theatrics, kind of like the Warren Miller skiing movies mm-hmm. where you see these guys just going through the powder and you can't believe how they're doing it. And it just makes you, not only makes you uh, appreciate the the wonder and the you know the majestic nature of these mountains, but they re- reinforce just how small we are in the grand scheme of things. And you know the narration, the the writing early on um, seems a bit over the top, sure. a bit self-important. Willem Dafoe does the Willem narration. Willem Dafoe does the narration, but the writing seems a bit self-important. But it isn't long before you catch up with like no. With these types of pictures, it kind of fits. Yeah, anything way, else would feel understated. Yeah, the way they're talking. So, and while it's um, showing you these incredible, these incredible pictures, it kind of traces the evolution from 
humans being scared of mountains and not wanting anything to do with them to starting to look upward and starting to think, I want to go up there. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting evolution. Uh, and talking about some of the, of course, some of the famous expeditions and things like that. So it's, it's just very simple. If you like this sort of thing, I can't recommend it enough, and I can't recommend it enough on the biggest of big screens. Because, frankly, if you catch it, you know, in home video or something, it's just going to lose. It's just going to lose that so type much. of scale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so definitely seek it out if you possibly can on the big screen. And we talked about having a bunch of different genres this week. Well, now we've got a musical to talk about. It's a father and daughter forming an unlikely songwriting duo in the summer before she leaves for college. It's called Hearts Beat Loud. I don't want to be in a band. And even if I did, I'm not going to be in one with my dad. Usual for you? What is this? New indie mix on Spotify. This is my band. You guys, this is my band. This is my band! Okay, so what do we do now? I mean, we could write another song. Family Jam Sesh. That's my, my favorite phrase. <laughs> jam like Sesh. Jam Family sesh. Jam Sesh. Yeah, it's Nick Offerman and uh, a girl named Kiersey Clemens, who you might have seen. Uh, she was one of the three friends in Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising, right, and right. she also had a part in the movie Dope. So now she's getting pretty much of a starring role. It's a musical. This is one that we, we didn't see Completely. I saw some of it. Yeah, yeah. But Rachel uh, Willis one of our writers at MadWolf.com, Rachel Willis, reviewed reviewed it for us. And you can check out her written review on the website, MadWolf.com. But she liked it pretty well. She thought the uh, it was maybe hampered by how much it focused on the songs. And the creation the of creation the music. Of and maybe the songs. not quite enough on the relationship between father and daughter. Nick Offerman is, yeah. you know, and I, he's always funny. And you're so used to seeing him play a curmudgeon. Yeah. I really like seeing him play something else. Yeah. And and he's just so goofy and and like high spirited <laughs> in this one. It's fun to see. Yeah, in this one they uh, they end up writing a song that catches the ear of people on Spotify. Next thing you know, they're dealing with some popularity and uh, you know, trying to bonding in this new way before she heads off to college. And you've got some great co-stars, Tony Collette mm. is in it, Blythe Danner is in it. So it's yeah, it's got a sweetness about it and definitely has some some very catchy catchy tunes that you might be singing on the way out, but just maybe maybe is a little wanting in the character development department. But still a fun one, a fun summer movie. Uh, Hearts Beat Loud is out this week. And that means it's time to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. First up in the lobby is one you can just skip right on by. It's a Tyler, <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Perry's acrimony and it's uh taraji p henson starring i uh, like taraji p and unfortunately it just follows tyler perry's penchant for setting up these supposedly strong female characters for an eventual comeuppance because seemingly their sin is not standing by their man right and that's the case here in fact it really dissolves into a I think borderline camp finale mm. uh, that is almost funny. So uh, definitely, I, I I would just like I said, walk right on by acrimony. But one that we did like out this week on the home video is the endless. Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are a couple of filmmakers, and I would recommend you just check out everything they've done, starting with Resolution, yeah. which we both love, and then Spring, and then this is the Endless. 
And one of the things they do really well is mash up different genres, sort of all within horror, but never overtly horror. Yeah, some people view this. Uh, we've talked to some people that view this as a horror film. We don't. No, we think of it as a fantasy or yeah, sci-fi. But you might. You might. Definitely so. And, and, and uh, there is a part in this movie where if you've seen their previous film, Resolution... It will really mean something to you. You don't have to have seen it, but if if you possibly can, it You'll works itself. You'll be overjoyed. You'll be overjoyed. Really yeah. You know, when the connection happens, you yeah. just want to clap out loud. It's just, it's a really interesting movie, and it and it hits so many tones exactly right. It's not flawless, but but as we're saying, you should just check out everything these two do. Yeah, they are definitely worth uh, paying attention to. The Endless is a recommendation on home video this week, and Terminal is out this week as well. Margot Robbie stars. And uh, this one is highly, highly stylish, but kind of lacking in most other aspects. Yeah, which is which is unfortunate to see like a waste of of Margot Robbie because she is so very talented. It's Simon Pegg, and there are a couple of good scenes in the movie between those two. I think their interaction is interesting. Is the most interest, interesting thing about the film. But mainly, yeah, as you say, it just slides on by with very dated style, very sort of Sin City 90s mm-hmm. kind of stylishness, and, yeah, and it's it, worth skipping. And it's going, the story about these assassins and double-crossing, and it leads toward a supposed twist finale that you can see coming. Oh, my, I yes. mean, I, I really think the, the filmmakers thought it was going to be much more of a shock than it really is, so... We were uh, disappointed by Terminal. Looking ahead next week, we've got a biggie, another superhero, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Paul Rudd is back for Ant-Man Part 2. We'll see what happens. Also, a prequel, sequel, prequel, (laughs) I guess. The first Purge. We're going back uh, to find out how it all began. And a documentary that actually I just got to see last night. I liked it, but we'll talk more about it in detail. Whitney Houston documentary, Whitney is coming next week as well. So until then, uh, get, a hold of us, get a hold of us if you can. Let us know what you thought about this week's movies or anything you want to chat about. We're always available on Twitter. That's the easiest way. M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F uh, on Twitter. Of course, it's madwolf.com, the main website. And on Facebook and Instagram, just add Columbus after that. That's our home base, Columbus, Ohio. So it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and presented by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. So until next week, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.